if you remember, at the end of last year, 2012, we were going through a series on the Lord's Prayer. And one of those things we talked about was when we got to the phrase, Our Father which art in heaven, what comes after that? Hallowed be your name. We talked about hallowed means to make sacred. And the whole idea in that prayer is that as we're praying it, that we make our lives a sacred place where God feels that he can take up residency and it is, it is sacred for him and him alone. That's what we're going to be talking about today and for the next four weeks is how do we accomplish that, especially when it comes to relationships. We're going to be dealing with relationships, and I'm going to invite you to, to come and be part of that entire series. It'll be appropriate for sixth graders on up, and so we invite you to make sure that your children take advantage of Inside Out during these weeks as we talk about these issues uh, in, a, in a very biblical, uh, scriptural manner, and I think it's going to be very important for you to hear what we have to say as we talk about how God designed us. We call it pure design. As part of that, this weekend, we've enjoyed having some friends from Pure Life Ministries with us. They came not as cheerleaders to, to get us all amped up about living for God, and they didn't come as uh, a voice of conscience saying, burn you sinners. It's, they didn't do either. Uh, they came as people with triumphant stories of witnesses of how God took them from de destructive lifestyles into lives of promise and health and really beauty. And they came to say, hey, follow me as I follow Jesus. And what I enjoyed about them Friday night and Saturday is their integrity, their authenticity, their honesty, and the words they taught us from the scriptures. So we're thankful that they've been here this morning. I want to introduce you to two of those folks right now that you can just greet them. I'm going to ask Rose to stand and Jordan, would you stand? Thank you for being with us this weekend. Would you tell them thank you? And then I want you to join with me in welcoming uh, to this platform a pastor, a counselor, and the president of Pure Life Ministries, Jeff Colon. Would you please welcome him? Thanks, Pastor. Bless you. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here with you all this morning. Just got to get this a little higher here. Why don't we pray? I really need the Lord's help. Lord, I do thank you for this time we have. Lord, I thank you that you're already moving in our midst, Lord. You're in such a passion for souls, Lord. I've never met anybody like you. Your love, your mercy, your grace, it's beyond comprehension. And Lord, I thank you that you have a voice, that love, that mercy has a voice. And it's constantly calling us. It's constantly beckoning us to yourself. Because you understand something, Lord, that we don't fully understand yet. That you are our greatest need. We were made for you. And Lord, I pray that that voice that spoke here below, that when you were here, would speak today by your Holy Spirit, Lord. God, speak to our hearts, to our innermost being this morning. Anoint this word, Lord. Bring about what you desire in us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
I stand here this morning really as just a product of God's mercy. That's all I'll ever be. God has had tremendous mercy on this life, and I didn't deserve it. As pastor said, all of us really from Pure Life Ministries come out of a life of bondage. I myself was bound by crack cocaine, by sexual sin. As a Christian, as a professing Christian in the church, singing up in the worship, could teach the Bible, but yet inside of me I was bound. I was dark. There was no reality of God in my life. I had a form of godliness. You know, I learned all the Christianese, how I should act on the outward, but inside of me, what what I read in the scriptures, what I heard in other people's testimonies just wasn't real. It wasn't happening for me, and I didn't understand why. There was a cry in my heart. I, I knew God was real. I just didn't know how to find him. I figured, well, maybe I'm just not chosen or something. Maybe I'm not one of them that God has picked. But God intervened in my life 19 years ago. It was divine intervention. That's all I can say. And he revealed himself to me through his word, through people, through a place called Pure Life Ministries where his presence prevails. And I finally understood who he was and what he actually did for me. He basically unveiled the cross to me. And I've never been the same because of it. But with that unveiling, with that tremendous light that he brought into my life, came with it also major decisions, major things about what I was still holding on to and needed to let go of. And, and God, in his mercy, helped me to let go of things that, that I never understood really were at the core of all my problems. Sexual sin is, is what Pure Life Ministries does. We've been helping Christians in this area for over 25 years now, but really sexual sin is not the issue. We don't sit around at Pure Life Ministries teaching people, giving them nice little tools to, come to overcome their sexual sin because we understand there's a much deeper issue. There's a much deeper root at the problem of sexual sin. The sexual sin, pornography, all these things we're seeing in the body of Christ really are just a symptom of a much greater issue. Now, I told the people this weekend, I'm Hispanic and I'm from New York, so when I yell... I'm not mad, okay? I'm just talking. This is how I talk. I can't help it. I was blowing the speakers out this weekend. Um, really, at the core of it, people, it's a worship issue. And men and ladies that come to our program for help come to understand that they had a worship issue. They were worshiping the wrong things. Their treasure was misplaced. They were treasuring other things. And, and really what, what I learned at Pure Life was what it meant to be a real Christian, what it meant when I prayed that sinner's prayer and how I needed to live now 
if I truly came to Christ and, and Jesus literally took me by the hand and he led me in the way of everlasting. And all I had to do was agree with him. That's all I had to do was agree with him and realize that I don't see things right, that, that I don't, I, I might think my way is right. I might think I have some kind of understanding, but I, I had to come to the place where I realized, Jesus, you know better than me. And if this is what you're saying, if this is what you see, if this is what you're telling me I need to do, then I'll do it. I need help. I need you, Lord. And he's been faithful for these 19 years to keep me and to do things that I never thought possible in my life. I never thought I could be free. I never thought I could have a reality of God in my heart. I never thought the things that bound me would ever break off in my life. But God did a miracle. And I don't care what you're dealing with today. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. My testimony is that the cross is the power of God. And I preach Christ and him crucified because that's all I will ever have. So as I share with you this morning, it comes out of my own testimony. But I also believe that God has a word for everyone here this morning. And I just want to encourage you to open your hearts to his word. There's a verse in 1 John chapter 3. It says, Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not been yet revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in them purifies himself just as he is pure. In other words, someone who has truly entered into the living hope of the gospel. With God's grace empowering him, day by day struggles against the sin and the propensities in their fallen nature to live a holy and a godly life. Titus chapter 2 in verse 11 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for this very reason, that he might redeem us. And that word redemption, you know what that means? It doesn't just mean he saves us. Redemption means a restored relationship. So he doesn't really just want to save us. He wants to have a relationship with us. He wants you to know him. To know Jesus is salvation. I didn't understand that in my Christian walk. But God wanted my heart. He wanted to know me. He wanted to be in fellowship with me. That's why he redeemed me. And that he may free us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. In other words, he wants to live his life through you. 
He wants your vessel to be full of him. He wants your vessel to reflect his glory in the earth. He has a purpose for your life. He created you for a specific reason, to glorify him. It was about two years ago now, I had a vision. I believe it was a vision. And I I got a sight of the Lord. And I fell on the ground, and every fiber, everything in my being, all it could do was worship him. And right at that moment, and I was thinking, for some reason, it came back to me this morning, right at that moment, I understood what I was created for. And, and the worship was so intense and so wonderful. It, it brought the greatest pleasure, the greatest satisfaction I had ever experienced in my whole life. It was unbelievable. I can't even put it into words to you, but I knew at that moment, this is why I was created. And I long for the day where where I'm free from the bounds of this world and I could just be in his presence and worship him and be with him forever. That's what he wants. That's where we're headed, people. And when we have that hope in us, we live our lives in this world, holy and pure, just to please him, to let him do what he's wanting to do in us. Our hearts really are at the center of God's will for our lives. And that's where change has to take place. If we want to be what he's created us to be. Again, I didn't understand that when I came to Christ. So for probably six years, I lived my Christian life defeated. I lived my Christian life not really understanding why Jesus saved me and the relationship I could have with him, the knowledge of himself he wanted to give me, the joy, the peace, the hope he wanted to give me, the freedom from all the things that had bound me in the past. But God, but God intervened in my life. And if if you're sincere If you're looking for God, he's going to meet you. He's going to meet you. And he's going to make sure to it that you hear the truth because he loves you. But this this is the vital thing that has to happen. There's a verse in Psalm 119. It says, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. That's where I missed it. I never got in the word. When I was under preaching where God was speaking to me, I didn't take heed to what God was saying to me. But when God got me to Pure Life Ministries out there in the hills of Kentucky, this New York City, Puerto Rican, he he got me to a place where I finally had to listen, and then I had a choice. So I want to look at a story in the Bible that I can relate to, but I also believe happens all the time to people that go to God and want to know, what do I got to do, Lord, to have eternal life? So it's in Mark chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, turn there. This is a young man who had an encounter with the word of God. In verse 17, 
It's the story of the rich young ruler. It says here in verse 17 that as Jesus was going out on the road, one came running and he knelt before him and he asked him and he said, good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now, from all aspects looking at this, it, it looks as though this guy really wanted to know what to do. I mean, it says he ran. I don't know what that looked like. I can't run like I used to, but he ran and he fell down at Jesus' feet. So it seemed as though he was humble. And he said, teacher, what good thing can I do that I may inherit eternal life? So there was somewhat of a, seemed like eagerness sincerity to really know. And you're here this morning, right? You come to church, right? Because you want to know what God has to say to you, right? Well, guess what? He's here. Guess what? God still speaks. Even though he's not here in the flesh, he still speaks to us. It's very important for us to understand that. That wasn't pastor earlier. That was the Holy Spirit calling souls, come to me. That's God himself. This young man didn't understand that because he said, good teacher. He just thought Jesus was another teacher. Maybe he'd heard about him. So he ran and wanted to know what to do. He doesn't realize he's talking to God face to face. Just think about that. He is staring God in the face and he's basically saying, what do I have to do, God? Every time you come to this book, every time you are speaking with God. God is speaking with you every time. So Jesus speaks in verse 18. And he says, why do you call me good? No one is good but one. And that is God. And this guy doesn't understand what's going on, but Jesus does. Because Jesus knows things about us. He knows our hearts, which the Bible says are desperately wicked. They actually, our hearts actually deceive us. And the Bible says, who can know the human heart? They're just so deceptive and full of um, evil and wickedness. But it says, but God knows and God searches the heart. So Jesus knew things already about this young man that the young man didn't even understand. And Jesus says to him, you know, why do you call me good? No one is good. But one, the word of God says that it's powerful, living and powerful in Hebrews. The word of God is living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces even to the division and soul of the spirit 
and the joints and the marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You see, I can't do that. The Lord shows me that all the time. I don't know what's in people's hearts, but God does. And the word of God has an ability to to cut right to the core, the being of who we are and our intents, our thoughts. It's amazing. Jesus personified that verse when he walked on the earth. I, I love watching Jesus and how he interacted with people and how with one sentence he could just do that. You know, just expose a person to the core of their being. Lovingly, of course. And, and give them reproof, instruction, and would call them to himself. He begins by saying to this young man, why do you call me good? No one is good but one. So he immediately starts to get at something in this young man. And, and I believe he was a self-righteous young man. I believe he grew up believing that he could do things to be righteous with God. And, and of course he did. He was taught that by the Pharisees. But Jesus is trying to help him. You see, people, we all need a pure heart. You don't have to be in sexual sin to need a pure heart. It's easier, usually, for the guy in sexual sin You know, it's kind of like when the Pharisee stands next to the tax collector and he says, oh, yeah, this guy's obviously a sinner. It's easy, you know, for the harlot. But sometimes for the religious person, it's a little harder to understand that my heart's just as black as that guy. And that was the problem with this young man. He had been so churched. He had been so long under the Pharisees. He didn't have a clue what was going on inside. And Jesus is trying to help him. Why do you call me good? I don't think he understood his need for cleansing. So then Jesus says this in verse 19. He says, you know the commandments. See, he knows this young man has been a very studious law doer. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I have done from my youth. And I don't know what he was thinking, but I know if it was me, I'd be like, oh, man, I'm glad he said that. I do all those things. Praise God. I'm doing pretty good. And his assertion, again, would have been right. According to the Pharisee sense an interpretation of the law, which he obviously grew up under, that really didn't condemn the gross outward act, but not the inward lust and motion of the heart, which Jesus brings. That when he says in the New Testament, no, whoever looks at a woman has committed adultery with her. You see, God looks at the heart God looks at the heart. And this is a belief sometimes in our outward form that sometimes blinds us to the reality of what's really going on in our hearts. And we don't realize it, but in America and in the church sometimes, we've created that same kind of system that kind of avoids the inner 
being or the, the things of the heart and really just focuses on the outward. We've done the same thing, really, that the Pharisees did without even realizing. The Bible calls it a form of godliness. And it's basically adhering and giving attention to the ordinances of religion. And it might vary a little bit between denominations, but basically there's an understanding of what you do when you become a Christian, right? At one time in your life, you pray a formal prayer of salvation. You get baptized. You join a local church. You attend services on a weekly basis. You join with others in, in, in uh, worship and, and sitting under the word of God. Others go even further. They volunteer for service. Maybe they teach Sunday school. They, they drive the, the church van, maybe. Others learn how to talk in a very religious way. I was very good at that. You know, I, was, I had the Christianese talk down. Hallelujah, glory to God. God is good, amen, brother. Others have a list of do's and don'ts. Like, of course, I don't curse. Christians don't do that. No smoking, no drinking, no TV. They'll only watch a certain rating level of movie. They have an outward form of dress that makes them look modest. But yet, really, all of those things, without inner purity, is just a form of godliness. Others maintain an outward form of religion simply by avoiding the whole counsel of God's word. In other words, they heap up for themselves teachers who give them teachings according to their fleshly desires. They read books that cater to self, that avoid the cross and its implication in their lives. They rarely get over the scriptures for themselves. And when they do, they pick and choose only the scriptures that won't interfere with their life too much. I was a master at that. I would forget about the one, you know, whoever looks at a woman of lust. I lost right over that one. That wasn't for me. But it would behoove us to meditate on the things Jesus said. It really would, because in the end, what he says matters. My opinion means nothing. It really does. It means nothing. But what Jesus said means everything. And it's Jesus speaking to this young man. Jesus was looking at the inside of the cup. That's what he looks at when he sees you. He looks at the inside. And Jesus, it says in verse 21, looking at him, and here's the most important thing I want you to hear loved him. Loved him. We don't even understand that word. Jesus loved me. And I, I'm not going to understand it fully. It, it's going to take all eternity for me to fathom the depths of the love that Jesus has had for me. I've just scratched the surface. When it would have been right for Jesus, and it was many times in my life, because I thumbed my finger at God as a believer. I prayed to the devil as a Christian 
I was out one night. I, I used to go out with my Bible in the car, getting my crack cocaine and my prostitutes. I prayed one night to the devil because I was so strung out and I wanted more drugs and I wanted my lust fulfilled. And I prayed to Satan. I said, Satan, give me what I want. Just give me what I want and I'll forget God. That's how far gone I was. It would have been right for God to drag me out, stone me, and send me to hell forever. But God, he pursued me anyway. Because he's love. And his love is not a humanistic love. He only, only thought of me. He only, only thinks of you and your future and to give you a hope because he understands things better than we do. He understands the end of a thing and he doesn't desire that any would perish. His desire that everyone would turn to him and know him because he created you. He loves you. He wants you to be with him for all of eternity. Again, I didn't understand that. I just wanted to be, I just didn't want to go to that place. That's all I cared about in my warped belief of God. I just don't want to go to that place. I still don't want to go there, by the way. <laughs> but more than that, I want to be with him. I want to be with him. I've had little tastes of him. And nothing compares with him. Man, this young man, if he could only know who was standing in front of him. And that he loved him, loved him with a love that nobody loved him with. And because Jesus loved him, you know what? He told him the truth. And it hurt. He loved him. So he said to him, one thing you lack, young man. You see, young man, I see something in your heart, and it's hindering you from knowing me, really. Go your way. Sell whatever you have. Give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, there's the invitation, and come. Take up your cross. Jesus didn't leave anything out. Take up your cross and then follow me. So in one sentence, again, Jesus lovingly rebukes points out error, corrects, and gives him instruction. Jesus never leaves anything out. He is faithful to tell us what we need to hear. The word of God is, is, is complete. There's nothing missing here. You want to know what to do? It's right here. Now, Jesus wanted to give this man everything he needed to be complete. Now everything hinges on one thing what he does about what Jesus said. Take heed to my word. This young man actually didn't realize his life was going the wrong way. 
He was headed down the wrong pathway. You see, our hearts are like the helm of a ship. In that helm of the ship, a, a captain plots his course. When he launches out into sea, he has a destination. So at the helm of that ship, they plot the course and they, they want to wind up at a certain place at the end of their journey. Your heart is like the helm of your life. And wherever your heart is leading you, that's where you're going to end up in the end. This young man's course was not going in a good direction. And Jesus was trying to correct him and get him back in the right course. How many in this place, maybe, possibly, could it be, are not going in the right direction? Here's part of his problem. He was rich. He grew up in a rich household. He was used to getting what he wanted. He was accustomed to getting what he desired. Over the years, over the years and years of that, because of his wealth, his ability to have things he desired, without him realizing it, his heart had become a den of idols. Other things he loved and worshipped because he could get them. They were available to him. All the things that would please his flesh and make him feel good and entertain him. It was all there for him. He lived in a, in a wealthy household. He could have whatever he wanted. And he was blinded for his need of the greatest treasure of all standing right in front of him. Here's our problem. We live in the same kind of household in America. I know the economy's bad, but it's not that bad. If I were to break down the population of the world into 100 people, it would work out like this. 50 would be malnourished, living perhaps off one small meal a day, 50 out of that 100. 80 would live in substandard housing. housing. That means no water or electricity. No water, no electricity. 80 of those 100. Six of the 100. Listen to me. Six of the hundred would possess half of the world's wealth and would live in the United States. Six out of the hundred. If I had an annual income of $15,000, I'd be in the top 12% of the wealthiest in the world. Notch that up to 30,000, I quickly moved to the top 7% in the world. You see, people, we grow up just like this young man in a society that caters to our fleshly desire, and we don't realize its effect on us. You want to know why sexual sins running rampant in the church? So we become like this young man sometimes, professing to know God, having a form of godly, but really at heart an idol worshiper. Going after other things, worshiping other things, giving our hearts to other things. Jesus showed me, he made it very clear to me that my main issue, my main problem, the reason why I couldn't get free from my sins was because I had two masters. I wanted the world and I wanted God. And that's what this young man wanted. But Jesus said, you can't have two masters. And Jesus made it clear to him. 
Lose your life. Let go of everything. Forsake everything you have and then come and follow me. Those who are striving to gain the world with all its riches, all its pleasures, or some supreme pursuit of this earth light will forfeit their eternal soul. God still hates idolatry. We're still called to flee idolatry. Colossians 3.5 says, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire. Now, if I just stop there, oh, of course. Fornication, of course. Uncleanness, passion, evil desire. Of course I'll put that off. But it, does, it says, and covetousness, which is idolatry. It's very interesting. He puts that in there with those other obviously vile things. Just covetousness, just desiring and pursuing things other than God. My wife had a fire many years ago in her apartment, and she got out, you know, by, I believe God was watching out for her, and she got out and she went down the hall to her neighbor's apartment, and she was down there for a while, and finally had to use the restroom and went in the restroom and put the light on. And to her surprise, when she turned the light on, all she saw were white eyes and white teeth. She was totally covered in soot, but she didn't know until she looked in the mirror. And the word of God is like that. If we'll get over the word of God, if we'll, we'll, we'll just sincerely get over it, God will begin to show us things that we didn't know were there. And it could be anything. You know an idol can be anything? It could be a career. It could be a relationship. It could be your marriage. It could be your kids. Money, some pet sin that you just don't want to let go of. It could be comfort, materialism. And worst of all, it could be your religion. That's probably the worst because it, it really does blind us. Because we, we make the things we do. That's what this young man, right? He just wanted, what thing do I got to do? He was used to that. that. No, it's, we're clean because of what Jesus did. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves righteous. Nothing. So don't rest your hope on that. Rest your hope in Christ and what he did for you. But if you understand what he did for you, the, the natural response for that is to give him everything and to let him do the whole reason why he died for you, which is for you to know him and to become his and for him to come and, and live in your heart and to possess you. He can't do that if we're full of other things. One night, God came to Abraham and he said, Abraham, Tomorrow morning, when you get up, I want you to come and, and bring an offering to me. And I want Isaac to be that offering. Oh, okay, Lord. And he went to bed and he had a restful night's sleep. And he got up and like it was nothing, right? And brought his son to sacrifice. You think it was like that for Abraham? Okay, Lord. 
No, I think it was a little different than that. Uh, um, excuse me, God, did I hear you right? Isaac? You want me to do what with Isaac? He understood what God was talking about. It meant slaying him. It meant laying his little boy, his little son, on a pile of, of um, wood, take a knife, and slit his throat. Think about it. God would ask someone to do that? But he did it. And God stopped him. And God provided something. And it's a picture of Christ. But it was test for Abraham. And it says it was accounted to him as faith. His faith was accounted to him as righteousness. God wants everything, people. He wants it all. You want the promises of God? You want to come into what God really did? It requires something of us. It requires letting go of the things of this world. It requires letting go of our lives. It requires when God shows us something in our life. Sir, your job's a little too important. Sir, you're, you're pursuing the riches of this world. You're neglecting your family, your relationship with God. Ma'am, those TV shows you're into, they're consuming you. It's all you look forward to. You don't even spend time with me in your word, but yet you make time for these magazines and these other things. Young people who say, I'll serve God later. I got things to do. I got plans. I have plans for you. I have places I want to take you. I have things for you to do. And because God loves us like this young man, he shows us things. But it says this young man was sad at his word. He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And then Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. It makes me wonder why we have so many weak conversions in America. It was too much to ask. This idol had become so big, it blinded him to the wonder of who Jesus is, who was standing right in front of him, the greatest treasure of all, Dear one, do not miss Jesus. He stands before you every day. He cries out to you every day. Sometimes through circumstances, through people, maybe in a service like this, but he is always there calling out to you, knocking on the door of your heart. Let me come in the way I want to. Let me show you the things that I see. I understand what you see, but this is what I see. Be zealous, repent, turn to me. Behold, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking and I want to come in and I want to have fellowship with you. That's what he wants. He wants your heart. He won my heart. 
you want it. And I'm so grateful that he won my heart. I've never been the same. He wants your heart, people. He wants your heart. He's calling his bride. He's calling his bride. It's time. It's time to put away the idols. It's time to forsake the things of this life. This world is wrapping up. Eternity is going to be forever. God has so much he wants to do through your lives. There's so many people that need to see a living, breathing Jesus in the days we're living, the days we're going to be coming into. God wants to fully possess you. He wants your heart. He wants your life to become an expression of who he is in the earth. He's calling you to a greater consecration, a greater devotion. Hear his voice. Hear his voice. It's his voice. And it's all because he loves you. He loves you. And he wants you. He wants your heart. And he wants you to know him. That's why he died for you. And Lord, I pray that your voice would draw these dear hearts. I pray none here would be like this young man and walk away from you sad. Doesn't have to be that way, Lord. You did it for me, Lord. I'm sure no one in here is too hard for you. And I pray, Lord, you will beckon hearts unto yourself this day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.